the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference presents Reengaging Employees, Getting Your Team Back on Track, a professional development seminar featuring Engineering Program Manager for NetApp, Regina Evans, Area Manager Outside Plant Planning and Engineering Design for AT&T Technology Operations, Sean Kagans, and Consumer Lending Portfolio Planning Transformation Lead for J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, Nicole Denson. Research has shown that there are a lot of reasons why employees leave a company, including burnout, boredom, less recognition, conflicts in the workplace, etc. Employee retention can save a company thousands of dollars and improve company morale. Working with your team on tasks such as brainstorming can show creativity, ranking their attributes can help you complement their strengths, and discussing employee career goals can add a lot of value to the project as it allows the team to flourish and meet company goals. This leads to employee satisfaction and feeling rewarded in their work and, most of all, appreciated. Making work fun and identifying accomplishments cures disengagement in the workplace. Without further ado, the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference presents Reengaging Employees, Getting Your Team Back on Track, featuring Regina Evans, Sean Kagans, and Nicole Denson. Okay, so the objective for this session is twofold. One, we want to talk about some of the warning signs of getting disengaged among your different teams. And the other is to discuss some of the strategies for dealing with those disengagements so that you can get your team back on track. So I'm going to introduce myself first. I am Regina Evans. I work for NetApp. We do have a booth down at the career fair. We are hiring at booth number 1306. We are the data authority, <laughs> so I just want you to know that. And um, I'm a manager of the help desk, the Feature PVR help desk in the North Carolina area. And I want to also take an opportunity to introduce our two panelists, um, Sean and Nicole. They'll each um, speak of themselves as well. So my name is Sean Kagans. My full name is Shanquitha, so you'll see it on my, on my slide. It says I affectionately go by Sean because I do. Um, I work for AT&T. I've been at AT&T for 26 years. I'm in our AT&T technology operations department. And I actually have a team of design engineers in our CNE construction and engineering department. I've had the opportunity to manage and lead um, several teams in various different organizations or various different departments over the years. So I've actually been able to learn from each group and take what I've learned from one group and you know take it to the next group. And also, I've also had the opportunity to be able to collaborate with each of the groups in different capacities over the years. Hi, I'm Nicole Denson. Can you hear me? Is that good enough? <laughs> I work for J.P. Morgan Chase. Um, I work in the technology department in consumer lending. Um, I work on portfolio and planning transformation. Um, and so as we go into our agile journey, I have the luxury of uh, owning the teams that go out and, um, and help the, the teams, the business and the technology teams 
um, transition into agility. I also um, own the budget for consumer lending, which includes card, auto, and home lending. So to open up our discussion, I wanted to talk a little bit about the U.S. Employee Overall Job Satisfaction Survey that was done in 2018. As you know, oftentimes when people get disengaged, it's usually related to not being happy with something in their job. And one of the things, five things that they found out during that survey that people were least satisfied with was the workload, the education and job training opportunities, the performance review process, bonus plans, and then of course the promotion policy. And so when we think about these kinds of things and they're happening in our workplace, we also have to think about what impact that's having on those in our teams. So how do you know when your team is disengaged? There are some warning signs that may occur that will allow you to kind of have some insight into what's going on. So we're gonna ask each of our panelists to answer this question for us. How do you identify the warning signs that some of your team members may be getting disengaged? So I've had, I've had experience with that so firsthand. I wanna say um, typically lack of productivity, right? That's like the first sign, that's a very natural sign. But then also a person that normally is engaged starts to get really disengaged. Many times even crossing the level of, um, I would say disrespect. And, and by that I just mean with some of their teammates just because they become frustrated, which is some of the things that Regina has just kind of spoke about. But me particularly, I'll give an example of um, one young man that I had reporting to me actually very recently, so it's very ironic that we were even having this conversation. And it was during a staff meeting. And he, he, he got to the point where he wasn't even, he didn't even wanna be involved in a staff meeting, right? And so he just turned and faced the wall as if, it's like, I'm just not gonna engage in this conversation. And I knew it wasn't personal. So for me, and even noticing that, I didn't take the opportunity then, right? Because I didn't want to become combative and I didn't want to call him out. But I took the opportunity after the fact, right? And pulled him in and said, hey, you know, I noticed in the meeting that you turned around, you were totally disengaged. What's going on? Because at the, fir at the first sign of it, we have to understand the human aspect of it. And so, so that you all understand, and I think with most companies, we, as we are hiring, we're still actually downsizing in so many ways. And so through attrition, he has, uh, he's accumulated an additional workload. And so he says, I'm really frustrated about the workload. And so for that, that took, gave me the opportunity, right, to step in and say, I'm here. The last thing I want is for anybody on my team to become frustrated. Keep in mind, just because your workload increased, we have a full team of folks that can help you with that workload. So instantly, it started to kind of diminish, or at least um, add some kind of relief for him. So to that, I would just say, noticing those signs of disengagement when you notice that a person who's normally is engaged become disengaged mm -hmm. and that level of frustration. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it's not always easy, depending on like the size of a team that you have, right? And so um, you may want to get to see everybody, you, you know, individually, but not be able to, right? And so my leadership team and I meet um, regularly, and then once a month I have a broader um, 
meeting with the rest of my team. And so there's some obvious things that you can do, like employee opinion surveys, right? And, and every so often I do my own survey, like with my team, just to make sure I keep a pulse on um, where they are and how they're feeling. Um, and then I make sure that my leadership team, you know, you, you have people who um, you trust to, to keep the pulse for you, right? And so they know, like, if anything, you know, you sense anything, come back and tell me, because to Sean's point, you want to address it, you know, right then. You want to go out and make sure um, that you help that person because you don't want that mentality or you don't want that negativity that they're feeling to kind of, like, go into the team. Um, but more importantly, you, you, you care about people for themselves, right? And so you want to help them in, in whatever it is that, that is causing them to, to be that way, to feel that way. Excellent. I, I totally agree. I think, um, and to add to what both of you have said, I also think about in situations as a manager where you realize that there is a layoff coming or there's some type of change that's coming that's going to impact the team, you can also have a plan in place for how you plan to help your team get through that transition. I think that that's key is that we make sure that we are prepared to handle some of the things that's going to come our way. And if we have some things up front that we're aware of that's going to happen, then of course we can make sure that we have kind of a mitigation plan in place to assist our employees with being able to make the necessary adjustments. Because it's not just when they have issues them themselves. Sometimes it's that you know someone left the team you know, for whatever reason, they left the team and then there's a hole there and everybody's kind of wondering, okay, what are we going to do about it from here? So in, the, in that situation, you would have to know how you're going to handle the team and get them back on track. Yes. Another thing I want to add to um, just as a leader, just being accountable to paying your team attention. And so sometimes the whole, you know, them arriving, if you know someone is normally, normally arrives to work on time, ready to show up, and then they start to slack off in ways like that. Those are other signs that we can recognize to say something is happening here. And if we catch that early on, many times we can draw them back in before it becomes too late because some of those um, factors could be outside factors, outside of the job. So I just kind of wanted to add that in as well. So another thing, of course, that we want to talk about when we talk about our teams and being disengaged, we also want to talk about what impact does it have on the team as a whole? Would you ladies please address that question? Yeah, so I, I mean, for me, it was like I was saying earlier, um, I'm an energy person, right? And so paying attention to the energy, you know, that you bring into the workplace, that you bring into, you know, any scenario is important. And so, um, you know, an employee who is disengaged generally, you know, for whatever reason, you know, clearly is not in a good space or not in a happy space. And so you just have to be, um, you just have to try to maintain, uh, you know, a high level of energy because what will happen is, you know, their, um, their energy will then, you know, transfer into the team because trust and believe they will talk to two or three or four or five, you know what I mean, people, and then, and then it begins, right? And so, um, it's just important it, it, because it will take down the productivity of the team. Um, it will start so much swirl, you know what I mean, where the team is more focused on whatever the conversation is than actually achieving what it is that um, you want them to achieve. Yes, I agree. Um, that cohesiveness, it starts to break up that cohesiveness. I think the number one thing when we are, especially when we get new teams, right? It's like you're trying to understand the dynamics of the team and then of course your team understanding you. And so one thing to hold meetings at the beginning of, you know, when you first get a job or what have you, 
So when you get that cohesiveness or as you start to build that team around, because you have to be very strategic about how, depending on the personalities of your team, that's important. So when you have that one person, then it starts to kind of break up the cohesiveness. Usually what happens is their behavior starts to negatively impact the team and the team will wait a moment before they come to you about it. So usually by the time they, somebody come to you and say something, something has happened repetitively over time. And so what you do, the first thing I normally do is I ask the person, well, have you said something to them? And so, and I ask them that from a peer perspective because what we do have to understand, yes, we have leaders in every organization, but as, as peers, we have to hold ourselves accountable to making sure that our team, because it's our team remain cohesive. So when you have the one person or the two people that actually starts to diminish that for diff various different reasons, right? And if they feel uncomfortable with um, taking on that challenge of saying, you know, saying something to them as a peer, well, hey, I notice every day you come in here and you, you're a little negative. And so when you come in here with a negative energy, now everybody's talking about how negative you are. So it's taking us away from what it is that we're doing. And so if, if you don't feel comfortable with doing that or the peers don't, then it's up to us as a leader to go to this person and say, hey, a couple of your um, peers have come to me. And the first thing people say, although we're adults, right? The first thing people say is, well, I don't want to tell on anybody. <laughs> and so you have to remind folks, it's not about telling on anybody. It's really about making sure we hold the positive dynamics of our team and that we get the job done. Because we can't get the job done if now we're all kind of getting drugged into this whole negative mentality or this negative aspect of what's ever going on within, a, you know, a few folks within the team. Yeah, those are excellent responses. Uh, one of the things that I do too is I have one-on-ones with each, uh, each person individually so that I can get a feel for their work style, get a feel for their personality, get a feel for what's going on in their lives that may impact their work in some way. And then the other thing is when you're in a meeting with the team, you want to reiterate the mission and the vision of what you're trying to achieve. This is what we're here for. This is what we all are striving to achieve. And so you get everybody on that common ground as to what it is you're trying to do. So, and let them know what, how their work impacts how we're gonna achieve that goal. And I think that that helps as well in terms of helping them to, to get themselves back on track because it gives them a point of focus. It's important to, to create a culture where people feel like they can talk, you know what I mean? Because I, you know, I realized that um, not not intentionally, right? These the uh, facial I don't have a poker face at all, and so <laughs> and so, um, you know, I want my team to be able to talk to me. Like I said, it's hard, very hard for me to do the one-on-one -on -one thing. I would be like taking two months, you know, to to have a one-on-one -on -one with everybody. But they do know that at any time they can come talk to me, and um, and again, being very, you know very self-aware, I had to realize that when they do. I have to make them feel, you know, comfortable and it's okay. And, and, and so curbing that, you know, anything on my face or emotion that I may be feeling, you know what I mean? And just really listening to them and making sure that they understand that they have a voice. And, and, and for me, anytime I turn it around to, I care about you as a person, it, it, it always works, right? And, and not focused about what you're doing for JP Morgan and oh, you're, you're gonna make everybody unproductive. No, like what is going on with you? Because I care about you as a person. I totally agree with that. And also, just to add on to what you were just saying, I like to 
put myself out there in the sense that I like to let them know how, what my work style is. And I like to hear from them what their work style is. I think that when you get an understanding of how a person works and how they view things, what drives them, what's their passions, things like that, you have a, a general understanding of that and they have an understanding of where you're coming from, it makes it much easier for you to be able to help each other to, to be successful. So I think that that's one, another thing that I would add on to that is, you know, you definitely want to be open enough to let someone know what, what, what your leadership style is, what your management style is, what you, what you do um, and what, what drives you crazy, things like that. You want to make those things kind of clear so that they kind of understand where you're coming from. And I think it's easier for them to talk to you when it's that way. I agree. Um... Understanding the motivators and the demotivators, basically, yeah. Tina saying that is that's important. That's huge. And um, also going back to what Nicole said, um, that open door policy. I know we all can't have it at all times, but if you can, it's extremely, extremely important that your team know number one that they can come talk to you, and number two that you are going to listen. I know one of the things that work for me truly is reflective listening. That's something we all learned pretty much early on in grade school. But when you repeat back to someone what they've said, they know you hear them. They know you're listening to them. So we have to activate those skills so that they know that we're just not sitting in a seat and that we're owning that we're not owning that seat in essence. We have to show them in so many different ways. And I really believe that make all the difference in the world. One of the things that you saw as a point of disengagement on the previous slide was about diversity. Um, in 2018, there was an article that was printed with why more black voices need to be heard in corporate America. And this was also mentioned in another um, session that I was in earlier today, that one of the challenges is that they, we don't see a lot of black leaders and executives. And in thinking about that, we have to find our passion where we are able to get past worrying about that. We want to do what we can in order to drive diversity in our workplaces. But I want to encourage you that you don't get discouraged because things aren't moving as fast as you might like. Um, sometimes things take time and so you have to be willing to put that time in. So I just wanted to bring that out and then ask our panelists, so what role do you feel that diversity plays in disengagement and bringing your team together? I believe that diversity or the lack thereof could play a huge role if we allow it to, right? And by that, I just mean if we're not focused on the diversity, if we're not focused on the inclusion, if we're not honest and transparent about it, whether you're the minority in an organization or the majority in an organization, having a conversation about what's lacking and being able to be honest and open about your feelings without being disrespectful. At the end of the day, um, diversity is a huge conversation, right? We've been, we've been hearing about it from coast to coast, organization to organization. And I know even from AT&T, a couple of years ago at one of our conferences, our CEO spoke on moving from tolerance to understanding and that's a big deal because when you're not and when you're just being tolerant right you're not being inclusive so once you start to really include then you start to understand that diversity is the really the the, the personality in all of our organizations 
There's no way we can just walk in any one particular organization and think that that's reality if everybody's looking the same, regardless of what that same looks like. And so that's why that diversity is that is the personality of it. I think it's the heartbeat of it because it's what's going to move us forward. When we think about technology, literally, technology has moved forward because of diversity. Mm -hmm. Still, we have a long way to go, but that's what technology is. That's what innovation is. Innovation is really about the difference, the variety, the, the, the different experiences, the different backgrounds, the way that I see things is different than someone else because of the experiences. So if you go into an organization and you are lacking that diversity, if you're just the only one, it starts to wear you down because it's like, I know I'm not the only black female that's good at this. Or I know I'm not the only black female that can do this. I know I'm not the only black female that can learn this. So if you're in this organization and that diversity is missing or that inclusion is missing, at some point, your fire starts to burn out. Again, you know, we've talked about diversity a lot, I'm sure, in all your organizations as well. So I think, um, you know, what diversity uh, does for a group is obvious, right? Like bringing in different perspectives. And so I don't want to over overplay that, you know, conversation. What I, what I do want to share, though, is I honestly did not realize um, the impact that lack of diversity had, right? So I, I, I'm a get her done, you know, I just work and get my work done type person. And when I got promoted um, to executive director, when I got, you know, the little office <laughs> up front that I felt like more is more of a fishbowl, by the way, but, <laughs> um, I, you know, like it was literally like two days later, right? And, and two African-American associates, females came up to me and they were like, oh my God, thank you. We could, you know what I mean? We could not wait. And it's so um, good, good to see, you know, one of us in the office and, and having this power. and. And I was like, okay, you know, great, right? And, and I went home and had a whole meltdown, a whole meltdown, right? So I called my friend and I was, and he's like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I'm like, they're watching me. And then what happens, what happens if I mess up? You know what I mean? It's just too much pressure. It's too much pressure. And he said, they called, they've been watching you the whole time. Like, you know what I mean? But now that they told you that they're watching you, you want to have a meltdown? You know what I mean? Like, just keep being you and keep doing you. But it opened my eyes, though, to the fact that they are watching. I mean, it's really, really important. You know what I mean? Um, and so, so not really understanding how important it was, you know, that really, that really opened my eyes. So conversely, imagine if there was, they didn't have that, you know what I mean? So, and what that must be, you know, make them feel like on the inside. It was just an eye opener for me. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'm going to pause here and see if there are any questions from the audience. Yes. So the very last part, um, Black professionals describe having to compromise parts of their authentic selves mm -hmm. to conform to executive leadership presence at the company. Can you talk a little bit about how you encourage people to bring who they are to the table and how they do that when they are the only one where mm -hmm. they're perceived as different? That's a great, great question. Um, so, so for one, I, I say to people, going back to what Nicole just said, when she said, her friend, the, the advice she got, they're watching you and they've always been watching you. And so know that, yes, somebody is watching you, but they're watching you in your authentic self. They're watching you in your organic self. So it doesn't mean that 
you have to be someone different because you've reached another level or because you've gotten into another position just because someone's hair doesn't do what your hair does. And, and it's amazing, just that conversation, that question along. I was part of a women of color um, development group at work, and I didn't realize personally how much black women actually thought about that because that wasn't my story. I didn't think about it, but it didn't mean that it didn't exist in the world somewhere. And so with that being said, it's okay to be authentically you because you are the person that's bringing to the team what the team needed. Again, that's the thing we have to think about. I'm different if you are different in that aspect. Mm -hmm. Your team, you never know when you go for an interview. I don't care how good you are at something. They may have enough people that's good at the same thing that you are good at. Mm -hmm. So now they're looking for something different. So that's the thing that I rely upon. And that's the thing that I tell even young girls when I mentor them. You have to be comfortable in your own skin. Now, that doesn't mean that we're stuck where we are. That just means that we still have an opportunity to grow and develop in, um, in some areas. But as far as who you are authentically and organically, mm -hmm. if you love you, then you then others are going to have to because that energy does precede you when you walk in a room. I, I think the problem, though, is when um, they're not allowed to be, right? And so... Mm -hmm. You can say that, right? But the minute that the organization behaves in a way that makes them feel otherwise, mm -hmm. right, then they're right back to feeling like this sentence, right, where you can't be yourself. And so for me, um, I, t I tell people this all the time, um, don't give the company the power. Like the problem is you're giving, you're giving the people the power over you. You're afraid that you're going to get fired. You're afraid that they're going to perceive you a certain way. And so you have to find it within yourself to not give them that energy because, I mean, that power, because, um, you know, I always say if, if I go to work tomorrow and, you know, my boss says, I'm, I don't want you anymore, I don't need you anymore in this role, then I go find another role because I know what I bring to the table, right? And so um, that ability to be able to be yourself is rooted in your ability to to take your power back and, and not be afraid of what somebody is going to think of you. It takes self-awareness too, right? Because you know, you know, some people I just feel like can go too far with it. You know what I mean? Like you have to be self-aware and you have to understand that there are guidelines and there are rules. And, you know, what I mean, you have to be respectful and mindful of that. Right. But at the end of the day, um, you know, they don't they don't control my destiny or my fate. And, and so it makes it very easy for me to be able to speak, um, you know, my, my opinion or have a voice. Yeah. And, and, oh, no, no. I was just gonna say to that, it's that accountability. And so that's where that comes in at, in terms of removing that fear. To Nicole's point, if you're feeling otherwise, then it is up to us to hold the leaders of these organizations accountable. And how we do that is by first going to that leader, right? And if we're experiencing something different, we have to be okay with going to the next level or going to someone that we trust to kind of make waves. It's, we we got to stop saying, I don't want to make waves if we know the waves that we're going to make are the right waves to make, so. Then I'm going to take the other end of that spectrum and talk about the fact that when you're trying to get the job, you do have to know how to navigate and to present yourself in a way that, you, that that person's going to like you enough to hire you. Um, I met, a, and it was years ago, I met an um, engineer who wore earrings in his ear. He was a black male, wore earrings in his ear, and I noticed that he didn't have them in. After, you know, after he had the job, he didn't have them in. 
And I said, oh, I see you, you have pierced ears. I never knew that about you and anything like that. And he said, yeah, um, I, took, I took them out, you know, when I got this job and everything like that. And so now I, I don't wear them at work or whatever and this, that, and the other. And his thing was, you know, he didn't want them stereotyping him because he had the earring in his ear. So he took it out. So you have to make some adjustments at times in order for you to get in the door. But once you get in the door, you got to play you got to be the best you can be in that in that space. And then once you're doing your job, it ain't gonna matter what you look like. If you're doing the job and you're doing it well, you would have made a reputation for yourself where they're not even gonna worry about those kinds of things. So you think about navigating um, corporate America and other industries when you're getting a job. Um, your next question. You're listening to Reengaging Employees. Getting Your Team Back on Track, a professional development seminar featuring Regina Evans, Sean Kagans, and Nicole Denson. Brought to you by the Global Catalyst for Change, the Bayer STEM Global Competitiveness Conference, where we make the untapped potential possible. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Yes, uh, Lakeisha Tomlin, uh, Northrop Grumman Corporation. And just to your, your point, um, it was funny when I got my current job, currently I lead a flight test uh, engineering organization and I had blue hair during the interview and got the job. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, um, there was a lot of conversation around, uh, let's see, one quote that I really loved, uh, moving from tolerance to understanding. And on the thread, uh, continuing the thread that uh, this woman up here uh, talked about before or asked before, what can organizations do to make people of color feel more comfortable to bring up certain situations? Um, I can't remember who on the panel mentioned it, but sometimes you know you're in a spot and you don't want to make waves. Um, what can um, what do you think an organization or organization can do? Uh, to uh, be, I guess, more acceptant or uh, understanding towards uh, different groups of people who are not, you know, stereotypical white male, et cetera. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would say it would be very um, unrealistic of us to say, right, we can just kind of take an organization and say this is how we need to be. But I'll, I'll go back to the word, one of my favorite words, I say it all the time, is accountability. And it has to start somewhere, right? And so I like to say to folks, start with the people that you're connected with immediately, right? Whether that be your immediate supervisor, whether that be peers in another organization, um, and having that conversation, that real conversation. You may not just walk up and just kind of start the diversity conversation, right? But you kind of give the opportunity for a segue, right? And every time that segue happens, have that a conversation about how do you feel about um, diversity or calling things out as you see it. I mean, me, myself personally, and, and I've interviewed with some of my white male um, counterparts. And so 
when an interviewer leaves the room and we have a conversation, I challenge them on the things that they may have rated them low on so I can make sure that we have a clear understanding of what's happening here. But you have to be willing to stand up and do that. And that's why I always say the word accountability and start stretching that across different organizations, taking the opportunity to connect with folks and folks in other organizations. I've had some of my white male counterparts who miss opportunities to hire you know, black female or black males. And because of me having that open conversation with them, they've actually admitted it to me. After they've gotten a foot in the door through someone else, they say, I missed that opportunity. And I say, yes, you did. I'm curious to know why you passed them up. So when you have that conversation, what happens is it may not have been for that first person, but the next person, they're going to think about it. You know what I mean? And so that's how we start breaking those barriers down, one person, one conversation at a time. Yeah. So... So J.P. Morgan does some very direct things because I think you, the organizations have to um, not just talk about it, but put things in place that show that they mean it, right? So we have mandatory unconscious bias training, you know, mandatory diversity um, training. We have diversity groups. Um, we have diverse events, right? And so it's 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 um, again putting the words, putting your words in action, and showing that you really are about it because. Um, a mandatory training, you know, people are not going to miss, right? And so, when you make when you make people have to go through that, um, that's very important. When you create environments and space, right, and have diverse groups, then it shows that they you really do, you know, stand behind what it is that you're saying. So, you know, I think um, just outwardly showing, you know, the employees that you do take it seriously and that it does matter is, is what the organization should do, need to do. I have to agree with you. Accountability. Um, everybody has to take responsibility for their own biases and be intentional about overcoming those biases that's keeping you from being um, educated about diversity. And so you have to be willing to put those biases aside and try and grow and learn and, and learn other people. Um, if you don't have anybody that you come in contact with that doesn't look like you, it's very hard for you to learn anything about that other culture or that other group of people. So you want to make sure that you are uh, open enough that you want to learn about other people. Hi. I don't have a question, actually. I have a follow-up to the answers that you just provided in the question that you asked. Yes. Um, I am, my name is Debbie. I am Vice President of Work, Life, and Culture for a mid-size uh, nonprofit organization. I just got to the organization less than a year and a half ago. And when I started, I put into practice something that I did all of last year. And it's a very tactical thing. But we can all say that we have an open door. Um, I actually took two hours every month and in every location I put on the wiki for opportunity for employees to sign up for 15-minute time slots within those two hours. And so any employee at any level through the organization could come and talk to me about whatever they wanted. And when it first started, people were scared because they didn't know me. They didn't know what they could talk about. And so I said, look, you can tell me about yourself. You can ask me questions about me. You can just tell me something that you think work, life, and culture should be doing, something that I could be interested in. And I just kind of like let it be open. And it sparked something. And so now the head of technology, the president of the company, the general counsel, our entire operational excellence department are all having open office hours. And things that come up during these conversations are really powerful. And it enables us to, one, for people to be comfortable coming to us, regardless of what they are and what they think. And two, it gives us 
an ear to what we wouldn't otherwise hear and insight to what we wouldn't otherwise see because of, you know, just layers in the organization. And so very tactical way of doing it is literally calendaring opportunities for people to come talk to you and making it, you know, visible and okay for that to happen. So I just want to say that. That's well, awesome. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, appreciate that. That's great. I do want to know, I'm just curious, out of a show of hands, people who have actually had someone to come to them, whether it's about their a fellow employee or as a, man, as a manager, someone came to you, but they had concerns about diversity. Are, are you facing these kinds of concerns <laughs> among your okay, employees? I was, I was thinking that you probably would be. Okay, I just wanted to get a feel for that because um, I actually had someone um, that I was doing a mock interview with, and she was like, I want to know about your diversity policy right out the bat, you know, and I was like, okay, I can, I can share that with you. Um, but the thing about it was she was very honest about it, you know, and she was very upfront about it. And, and one of the things I want to put in the ear of the people who are getting, um, trying to find a job is that you, you know, remember that it's not just them hiring you, you also are committing yourself to them. And so you want to be sure you're going to be with an employer that's going to appreciate you and the hard work that you plan to do for them. It's a little bit off topic, but inclusion is a fast follower to diversity, right? Because it's one thing to, to bring, you know, a certain group of people into the organization and kind of feel like you check that box. But then, you know, them feeling like they belong becomes a huge, huge thing. You know, I had one um, African-American male engineer um, who we took from um, a college in HBCU um, has come to me and say, like, but they put me on a team of uh, that's 95% Indian, right? They go to lunch every day I don't, and don't invite me. Um, you know what I mean? I just don't feel comfortable. So uh, inclusion, again, is, is just such a fast follower because it doesn't matter to, if you get them in, if, if after you get them in, they leave. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Um, I mentioned another the program that I was on and we were talking about, you know, the whole diversity and inclusion. We've talked about it for so many years together. And the reality of it is, is they they're kind of separate. Right. In sense where you can have the diversity, but you don't have the inclusiveness. And so one one of the young ladies on a, um, on a team said, well, inclusion is like being invited to the being invited to the dance, but then not being asked to dance. And so that's a great way to look at it. Say, hey, come work for us because you, you look good working for us, but now we're not going to include you in the decision-making process. We're not going to, you know, include you in the, the leadership process. We're not going to allow you to take the lead. And so that's where that difference come in at. You know what someone said to me once about that quote, right? Because a common quote, they say inclusion is not being asked to dance. Inclusion is that you have one of my songs on your playlist. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> One of my Ladies favorite songs, right? <laughs> Which is a good point. But um, like you said, though, when it comes to the diversity and inclusion, yes, they go hand in hand. But we have to keep in mind that they are very different. Absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit about the career curve. Um, we opened up talking about the satisfaction survey in terms of employees. And so at some point or another, we all find ourselves along this career curve. Uh, you start out in your career, you're excited, you're ready for new opportunities, you're challenged, you're optimistic about your future, and then you get that first promotion, and then you're feeling valued, and you see you know, an opportunity to grow and to develop. Then you get to the top of your game. 
you, you, you're doing it. You know, everybody, you know, you're getting awards and all of these things are happening, but all of a sudden now you're like, okay, what's next, right? And then you have that feeling of un being unappreciated. The path forward is not so clear because you're like, okay, I don't know which direction I'm gonna go, you know? And you start thinking, do I stay with this company? Do I stay in this department? Do I need to change my role? What, what am I gonna do? And the reason why I'm showing you this is because you're engaged up until you get to the top. But then you, dis you become disengaged when you can't figure out what your next step is gonna be. So you gotta be intentional about figuring out what your next step is gonna be. And for managers, you can't wait till the person gets to the top of their game to help that person figure out what their next step is gonna be. Now, you can't define their future. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that you can figure out how you're gonna help them help themselves. And so if you don't, they'll end up at the bottom and you'll lose key talent because they've gotten so disengaged that they don't see no path forward with you. And so we wanna make sure that we think about this curve because periodically we all find ourselves at some, some point on that. And so in keeping with that, engagement starts with the individual, right? So I'm gonna ask our panelists, what do you do to keep yourself engaged? No. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I'll say for me, seriously, probably the, the, the top of my list is community outreach. That's like the top of my list because I use what I have at AT&T to be able to connect me and, and the resources, I should say, to be able to pour those resources out into others um, in, in the community, not just my immediate community, but also the communities I work in. But also from a work, like, work perspective, right? It's like we get so caught up in sometimes climbing that ladder or, or doing what, making sure what we're doing is that good thing or that thing to shine, whatever it may be. But the most important thing for me is pouring out into others even internally. So going back to what we initially talked about, those motivators and those demotivators, right? And understanding what it is that your team desires. Some of us have folks on our team, they already have 30, 35 years. They're good. They're like, Sean, I wanna, I'm just gonna ride this out for the next five years. I don't have to move. I'm in a good place. Not that I won't uh, apply, give them attention as well, but it's a different set of attention, right? And so you have those folks that tell me, well, I'm looking to grow. I want to be promoted. I want your job. I love when somebody tell me they want my job. Good. Because that means you're going to get to the point where you can do my job and I don't have to do it. And by that, I just mean I'm moving on to do something else so that we can continue this growth process. So when we have folks that tell us that and we have folks on our team that we know that are looking to grow, in my opinion, it, I can't get wore out because now it's not just about me growing, it's about making sure I help everybody on my team to grow in some level, some capacity, some development. So that's that extra work for me in terms of outside of the scope of what I'm responsible for doing every day. These are the things that I'm focused on. So if I get to that point where I'm a little demotivated, the first thing I do is question, okay, what is it that you're missing out on? Something that you're not doing that's causing you to be demotivated. And I just kind of recharge myself. I think at the slide, I say reinvent, strategize, 
reorganized. Those are those things are literally what I do. And I try to make sure that we are all pivoting with the company. I work for a company that AT&T, right? Every year is something different. And I try to make sure that my team understand where we're going, even if we're not clear on it, that we can just kind of make sure we pivot just enough so we can stay relevant with the company. Yeah, I think I hesitated because I think I, it, for me it's more how do I make sure, not how do I get back on track, but how do I make sure I don't get disengaged in the first place, right? And so um, I like what you're saying, what you were saying, because for me it's like events like this, right? Like you can't, you, I can't make it all about just work. And so I have to find the things that I can do outside of work. Um, the things that work offers that aren't just you know what I do that that give me fulfillment. So events like this, I run I run the secondary education program for Delaware, where we go out to middle schools and high schools and try to get them interested, you know, in technology. Being able to step away from that day to day grind and the stress and be able to you know do the things that that make you happy, that keep your energy again in a certain space and up, I think is very critical and. Um, you know, when I think about my actual job, the minute I, I feel stale or, or a little bit, you know, um, I guess disengaged from it, then I just I think I make sure that I'm always on the cusp of something that is interesting to me. So our personal development is important. And what is next for me and, and, and thinking about that all the time, you know, is important so that I don't ever feel bored um, or, or, or stale or disengaged. That's great. I know. Um, for me, you know, before when the new year starts, that's my time to kind of take an assessment of the last year and what it is I want to achieve in the new year. And so at points during the year, I look and see, have I achieved that particular goal, especially when it relates to work? And so I have to evaluate um, regularly what it is I want to achieve. And part of that helps me to stay motivated because I'm, you know, always setting some type of goal for myself such as right now I'm working on my PGMP, you know, and so it's like, okay, that's the, that's the big one for now. And then I'll pick another one and I'll go on and go from, from there. And then the other thing is, of course, once you get to that point where you're stuck, you do have to lean on things that you're passionate about. You know, I'm, I'm heavily involved in my community. And so that is something I'm really passionate about. And so that helps me. And I, I'm fortunate to be in a company like NADAP that allows me that opportunity to be here as well as in my community. So those are things that I think that anybody can use in order for us to be, you know, if we find ourselves unengaged, to get re-engaged, you know, so into someone else, help someone else be successful. You know, my, my mentees also encourage me to do better. You know, so you just think about those things and know that you can get re-engaged if you feel stuck. You can, you know, pick it up. You just have to start feel focusing on the things that you care about and how you can turn that energy into something that the company can use. Another thing that I've done also is I've taken on an extra project, you know, something that's just different from what I do from day to day. And when I've done that and I've achieved that, it gives me another sense of purpose. So that's, that's another way that people can, you know, get re-engaged. It's to, you know, give them something that, you know, they don't normally get to do. And, and you have do. to be intentional because, you know, it's very easy to get into a rut. Um, for me, it's very easy to pour into everybody else, but then I forget to pour into myself. So you, ha you have to be intentional 
um, and set time aside, you know, to, to really think about it um, and what it is that you need and, and do something for yourself. Absolutely. And um, I like to say that um, this one simple rule, right, optimism, we forget that um, being um, just really being positive actually makes the world of a difference. And so sometimes when you get into that rut, you you allow it to take root and you allow it to take effect. So you kind of have sometimes look in the mirror and say, wait a minute, what just happened for me? That's really consistent for me. Mondays is crazy. Mondays is my favorite work day of the week, and everybody thinks it's the craziest thing in the world, right? So I come in and uh, every Monday, every Monday, and it's like Happy Monday. They're like, Oh, she's here, you know. <laughs> but it, it literally starts the week off like it kind of gives everybody that uplifting. And so they're like, Well, why is Monday your favorite work day? And I said, because we didn't have the weekend, I got my rest in, now I'm ready to hit the ground running. Usually by Friday, I'm wore out. Everybody's excited to go home for the weekend. Yes, I am too. But I come in revived and re, you know, rejuvenated. And so even going back um, to Regina's point, as far as taking on other projects, you know, as a leader myself personally with the um, groups, right? Where everybody has their standard workload. But I've noticed and I've, and I've done this in the past where I literally have pulled a person out of the workload and allowed them to do something that they're good at or something that they enjoy doing. Even if it's only for a week or two, it changes the game and it changes the dynamics of your team. So once you allow one person or, or and I shouldn't even say allow, right? I don't even like saying the word allow because we are all leaders. It's just how we, we move and navigate in, in the business and in the organization. But once you kind of set the put, footprint for someone, usually someone else is gonna come or they'll say, hey, such and such worked on this project. Is Do you have any more projects? And it's like, they're giving you the opportunity to give them the opportunity to do something different. Absolutely. And then the other thing I would add on to everything that's been said, because it's been great, is a mentor. Um, and you can have more than one, of course, but mentors are, are great. Um, one thing I can say is um, I can bounce things off of my mentor. You know, the, the mentor, my mentors are people who are willing to hear me through, hear what I have to say and then kind of offer me some feedback that will help me figure out what my options are. And when you are able to see what your options are, it helps you to come up with some ideas for how you can get re-engaged when you're feeling like you're stuck or you're feeling un unengaged. Yeah. yeah, That's a good point. Um, the mentors, your advocates, your sponsors, um, something that I really kind of took time to kind of categorize this past year. And so knowing that folks that mentor you may not necessarily be your sponsors and or your advocates, advocates, but make sure that your network is clear and, and, and make sure that you're communicating with that network on a regular basis. Regular doesn't mean every day or every week or even every month, but just make sure not much time goes by before you can pick up the phone or schedule a meeting and say, hey, I need to talk to you. This is what's going on. Because many times your mentors or your sponsors, your advocates, they see things in you that you may not have seen yourself or they know things or they have they know of different opportunities. And sometimes those opportunities may not necessarily just be for you. Those are opportunities can, that can be for people that's within your own network in terms of your team and folks that, of your peers or and or mentees as well. Oh, the question is, can I go in between, can I go a little deeper into the difference between a mentor, the sponsor and the advocate? And so a mentor 
I like to say is someone who kind of mentors you day to day. You say, hey, I have this issue going on. Give me some. Do you have any suggestions on how I should handle this? Right. Or I have different scenarios or different situations you want to present to your mentor. Just kind of let your mentor know what it is that you would like to do. Your advocate can be someone that's they're advocating for you. They don't see what you do on a daily basis. So daily basis, you may have had a relationship with them prior in the past, right? And they know what you're good at. They know what you can do. But it's not the person that you pick up the phone and call every other day or every week. But it's a person that's out there in an organization or another organization that know what your goals are. And so with that being said, they may be advocating for you, just say, across the country, somewhere in another state. I know Sean is good with this project. Let me give her a call. This is something that she may be interested in, even within our own within our own company or outside of our company. Then that sponsor is that person is saying, "Listen, I'm gonna this. I need you to hire her because she's good at this. That means I'm putting myself on the line for this person. I'm sponsoring you to the point where what you do matters to my name. So an advocate may not necessarily be so in terms of they're just putting your name out there." This is someone you might want to take a look at. The sponsor is saying, I know she can get this done. And so I'm putting my name on this person. And the mentor, so they can kind of cross over. They can yeah. be one and a different, or the mentor can also be a sponsor and or advocate as well. So it's just kind of knowing the difference. Great question. Thank you. So what are some of the strategies, ladies, that you use to re-engage your teams? So again, I'm going to say it for a hundred time. To me, it's always about the people, right? And so uh, making sure that we do um, team events, right, where it's not about work and it's, you know, about them and, and um, learning more about them or them getting to spend time with each other in a way that, uh, you know, is not necessarily work related or doesn't have a work goal um, in the end. I travel. I make sure I travel be, um, to each of the sites where I have, um, you know, employees because it's very important um, for them to see you or feel like they have FaceTime with you. Uh, and not feel like your primary location, the resources that you have there, you know, ha are at an advantage because they have you um, all the time. Um, I make sure that um, I let them know I appreciate them. So every month in the monthly meeting I have, I make sure, that, you know, to like an award, right, to award somebody for something that they've done. Again, not work related, but not work related per se, but something that they've done to help somebody on the team, you know, in, in more of a humane, uh, looking at the human side. Um, of, of them. And just to um, kind of piggyback off what Nicole said, be flexible, be positive. Some of the things that we've already said, not just, not just show up, but be engaged, be there for them. Know your team, know what's going on with your team. Um, Debbie, um, thank you for sharing that uh, because I actually have meetings scheduled with my team every week. Um, different people every week within my own team. But she said something that I am going to take back myself and, and open up the door for others within our organization because I've had folks call me simply because they know my methodology, they know my leadership style. So they just say, I want to just run some things by you. And so that's something that I'm going to do, kind of open it up for others that may want to get on a, um, get on a schedule and, and meet with me per se. But that flexibility, allowing them to be leaders, and I think one of the key things key, key, key points is being able as a leader to take feedback from your folks. You have to be open to feedback. And so you have to let them know that you want the feedback. Every year during evaluation time, 
At the end of the evaluation, I asked every single person on my team, what can I do to be a better leader for you? Have, is there anything that I've done to hinder you in your growth? Because I need to know that and I need to make sure that we're growing together. And so even during my weekly or biweekly meetings, I don't ask that question every time, but if I notice something changing, I'll ask the question, is there something that I can do to be a better leader? You know, and so because how I see myself may not necessarily be see may not necessarily be how somebody else see me. And just because we are growing, it doesn't mean that I've grown to the point where I'm able to help that next person. So that feedback, being open to feedback from your team is key, is crucial and not just your team, but others around you going back to the whole mentor, the sponsorship and also the advocates. And people are not going to always give us advice that we agree with. Right. So we have to challenge them. I go back to the accountability. We have to challenge them. Why do they see if we disagree? Why do we see what they see and support their support your team? There's going to be times when they make a decision that you absolutely cannot support, but you have to let them know why you don't support it. I tell my team all the time, there's a difference between policy and processes. We could go outside processes all day. But the policies are the policies. Those are corporate policies. And so it doesn't mean that they can't be changed, but there's a, there, there is a different avenue that you have to go through when you want to go outside of a policy versus a practice or a procedure. I want to add something about transparency. You know, it just came to me, right? So um, it's so important to me to be transparent um, with my team, right? Um, because the trust that, that they have with me is that they know that if I can tell them, you know, if I, I will tell them, I will tell them as much as I, you know, as I can, and I'll always be transparent. And the other thing is, um, you know, I like for them to see me as human. And so I never, you know, act like I have it all together. Like, the, you know what I mean? <laughs> Some days where, you know, somebody will, you know, I hate this, uh, like these executives, they'll be like, oh, my daughter just graduated from Harvard and now she works at the blah, blah, blah. I'm like, really? Because mine just came home from school <laughs> after failing her first year and I need somebody to help me find a way to get her out of my house. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because it makes it real. Like we, like sometimes executives like act like they're on this pedestal, right? And so untouchable, like you're not real and you don't have the same life problems that as 40% of your daggone team. And so my team, my team knows, they laugh at me all the time, but I'm about to choke her. Somebody come get me. <laughs> but it just makes us feel like family. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, it, get, and it, it lets them know that they can tell me, like, if you have something going on at home, so, you know, tell me, we all do and take the time that you need. Right. And, and no, I'm not perfect. My family's not perfect. I'm just like you, yeah. just like you. Vulnerability. That's real. Vulnerability is really real in terms of even even saying, you know, if your team come to you about something because they trust you. Right. And if you don't know, it's OK to say, I don't know either. Let's figure it out together. You know, instead of acting like or presuming that you know it all and you have all the right answers or that your answer is the right answer or the perfect answer that I, I think that vulnerability is key. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with both of you on, on both of those points. I also think that, um, I guess for me, I, I believe in telling my people, thank you, thank you, thank you for the service, what you do every day, the things that you're doing. I think that people need to hear that. They don't need to, to hear the best, uh, you know, hear about it when they do something wrong, but to hear about it when they're doing something right. So I totally agree with, both, with what both of you have said, and I just, I just feel like you have to be willing to um, be open and be fair 
as well as be able to see the potential in the person as well for things beyond what they're currently doing and encourage them to do to be successful. You know, I think that those are some great points that you all both made. Mm -hmm. Oh, somebody has a question. Yes. Hi, my name is Nancy Kreidler. I'm the director for cybersecurity for the Army and CIO G6. So I am an SES. And I will tell you that all the SESs and senior leaders that you see, they're all a hot mess. <laughs> it's just that some people dress it up better than others. And, and you have to put this face on because when you're in these positions, people look at you and they look at strong. So there's a story about George Washington. You know, we all see him on the boat facing forward. He's in the front, you know, he's, he's doing this, right? And, and the, you read about that story. He was actually in the back. But because he was a leader, they had to put him in the front, even though he didn't want to be in the front. So you have this idea of what the senior executive is that you see, but it's probably not them. And you don't know what, they like, what they're like when they go home. Some people bring their authentic self to work. I like to do that. I, work, I meditate with my, my workforce. I talk to them. And you gotta, you got to try to draw that out. But don't, I would say don't let their per persona fool you. I mean, it's just like, you know, I was a single mom once. And I used to watch all the other moms. Oh, my God, I'm such a mess. I can't get the lunchbox right. He's dressed wrong. And, and really, I mean, everybody has all their issues. It's just some people dress it up so much better than others. And so I would just say, you know, don't, don't let whatever you think they are stop you. You be you. And you being you and doing the work you have and being better at it than anybody else, mm -hmm. that will get you far. Yes. Thank you. That's good. Thank you. Okay, well, that wraps up our session. I hope you enjoyed this session. I hope that you enjoy the rest of your Bayer experience and have a great evening. And, and I'll say one final note, please do not forget to recognize. Um, recognition was mentioned a few times. I know many of our organizations have um, recognition programs. Please take advantage of those recognition programs for your people. I know without our organization, if we don't use it, we lose it. There's no reason why we should lose it. It can be one experience that they have with one customer make that experience a grand experience for them and just recognize them for it if you have the ability to do so. Don't forget to take the time to do that, even if you have to put it on your calendar to remember. Don't let those recognition moments get by you. Thank you, thank you all. Thank you for listening to Reengaging Employees. Getting Your Team Back on Track, a professional development seminar. Featuring Engineering Program Manager for NetApp, Regina Evans. Area Manager Outside Plant Planning and Engineering Design for AT&T Technology Operations, Sean Kagans. And Consumer Lending Portfolio Planning Transformation Lead for J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, Nicole Denson. If you have enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.bea.org. For college students, contact us at 
7101.